Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom, through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today I'm going to do a Q&A because I get so many questions that I am not always able to answer on social media or in emails and I I will try and pick ones I think are ones that would benefit a, a larger group of people, not to say that some would not benefit everybody, but I, I do get asked a lot of personal, like very specific questions, and I try to get back to those people. But I'm picking some randomly today. So the first one I'm coming up with is, how do you structure a typical day for optimal productivity, but downtime too? And I will always have the disclaimer, I'm, it's not that I'm a professional on, on this kind of response, but I will tell you what has worked for me because I do feel like I'm able to keep my hands um, in a lot of different buckets fairly successfully. So I will give you some of my own pointers, but um, there's lots of people who have other ones as well. The typical day for me is that I work for myself. So I think this really will apply to anyone who who works for themselves, especially if you're working for your own product, you. So some people work at home, but they're working for somebody else's stuff and you have to be organized as well. But when you're working for yourself, there is this element of being on kind of all the time. You can actually work most of the day and into the night if you wanted to, because the work is always there to be done. 
But that is to me not, and I, I mean, obviously anything, lots of evidence would support this, but that's not going to be a really productive way to live your life because you need to have um, parts of your life where you aren't working for this product or this for yourself and and almost have that, not so much an off switch, but as this person asked, um, Nicole asked, uh, you know, a downtime. So what I try and do is have parts of each day segments of each day where I don't have anything scheduled per se. So I, my big aim is during the day when my kids are at school and when I'm not scheduled to teach or be filming or having privates or something like that, or meetings that I try and have, um, a one to two hour block, at least sometimes I'm like, I need a four hour block, but a one to two hour block where I don't have anything scheduled And my goal is in that time to really not be on my phone, be on my computer, having a phone call, but to be as quiet as possible and to get out in nature if I can. Um, I really try and prioritize that. And I actually was going to talk about sleep today, but I'm going to talk about that on an upcoming episode. And sleep is really helped when you get outside during the day. So that is what I do is I look at each day and I think, where am I going to have that? Because if I don't have that unscheduled time, that open time, I definitely am not as productive. On the other hand, if I have a day that I have off, quote unquote, where I don't have to be anywhere besides my house and I don't have like a Skype session or something and I'm just, I'm not actually as productive typically that's for me. Now, some people would love just like, a, unless I'm going something, doing something specific, like going to New York and taking a day and doing something, you know, unusual, like go and see some theater or meet up with a friend or something like that. If I'm really doing something outside of my house, but if I've just taken the day off and I'm still at home, I'm not productive and that's okay. That's okay. I don't have, that's the point of being a day off, but it's, I like to have those days off where I really am not even trying to be productive when my family is around so that I can be with my kids or do something with them. Somehow for me, I don't enjoy as much unproductive time where there's not anything scheduled. I, and I, I see a lot of people that are like this. They just, it all, the day just merges together. And this will kind of segue into the next question, which honestly, I think six people asked me, I think I wrote six, oh, eight people asked me about advice for a, as a new mom. So um, optimal productivity, um, I'm going to finish that up, but then I'll talk about how like unstructured day and how you just like the hours just kind of roll into each other. You can really like your day just is blown sometimes when you have nothing to do. So my biggest piece of advice is have a scheduled time every single day where you are um, not taking phone calls, you're not on your phone, you're not doing technology, and you're not quote unquote working and try to actually change the environment a little bit. It might be going out in nature, but if it's a rainy day, staying and just going in a different room and maybe picking up a book and reading it or closing your eyes, meditating, taking a nap, something. Um, it's just a it's like a full allowance of just resetting and having that downtime. So I think that's the biggest thing is that if you have those scheduled downtime periods in your in your in each and every day, especially on the days that you're working, 
then then it's you're going to be more productive always. And so I and I know that I'm more productive in the first part of the day. So I really try and schedule my downtime like after three o'clock before my kids come home because I'm starting to whittle down in terms of my product, you know, my my focus and all that. So going on into being a, a new mom, the reason I said this was a segue is I think you know as a new mom, and I don't want to say it could be a new dad, it could be anybody who's the primary caregiver of a of a of a newborn and how the day is just it is a big blur and so many people ask me for advice on this and i i th- i think the only advice that i can really give you there's so many some of it is just learning on your own but i think that be okay with the day is just a big blob sometimes that you don't have this you can't be as organized organize something that makes you feel collected and and together and so for me when my and when my kids were littler and i had that you know, time period, I still taught yoga. So I had my kids, I came home from, you know, having them or uh, had my, like when I say came home, like I came off of the early couple of weeks and then I started teaching again and I had a home studio. So that was easy to do. And it just made me have, and it wasn't much, maybe three or four classes a week, but it was just a few points where I knew I had to collect myself and use my brain in a different way and um, you know, wash up and clean up and all that. And it just it helps. It really helps you have some, it's like having some buttons of to fasten, you know, fasten your get your stuff together coat on. <laughs> and that really, really helped me. And I I'm not saying you have to work much, but if you can do something that is that kind of like requires you to get your clothes on, take a shower, get clean, and and maybe even get out away from the baby for an hour or even two hours, it's it's really helpful. Because then the rest of the day, if it all blurs together and it's and you're it's glorious and you're just hanging out with baby, that's awesome. And then you just can do that and indulge in it. And that's the other thing is be so kind to yourself. You have just either birthed a baby or adopted a baby or done something that is a huge transition. And um, transition, transitional times are challenging, but they're also so glorious and special. So be kind to yourself and enjoy it. And don't think you have to get anything done, but just make it so that you can feel like you are some semblance of, of who you were prior to this transition, you know, so whether it's get yourself together for going out for a cup of coffee with a friend or doing some little work, or even if it's just like reading to just make your brain work in a different way. I, that's what I would say is be, be kind to yourself and then figure out the things that make you feel like at home in your body and in your mind that you were, that you were before this transition. I hope that helps that I had a lot of help too. So I can speak to that. Um, if you don't have somebody around who's helping you, I imagine it's much more challenging. So, but still find those pockets of time where you are more kind of adulting and make sure that you have conversations with adults too. (laughs) Okay, let's go on. So, um, oh, somebody wrote me about how to handle breakups or, or better, um, how to handle a broken heart. 
feel it. I think you have to just feel, you know, there's different ways your heart is broken. It can be broken by disappointment. It can be broken um, by betrayal. It can be broken by loss or all of the above. And know that you are strong, that you will break, you will crack, but you're not going to fall apart. Um, but it be okay with the feeling of real of a broken heart because it also there's a lot of light in that as well it's it sounds so i was talking to one of my yoga students this morning who's just this amazing human being and we were just talking about the state of the world and how you you um you have to believe that everything is survivable and that there is good everywhere it really does matter to have that perspective because it's so easy to go into darkness. It's very easy. So what I would say is feel the the um, darkness of, of a loss or of the pain, but really know that you are strong and you will survive it. And you'll survive it more by moving through it and not trying to deny it. You know, you have to feel the feelings. You do. You have to feel the feelings to actually move through the feelings. So that's my biggest piece of advice for that. And I hope that helps. And know that you are worthy. You are worthy and you deserve love and it will come to you. So going on to another thing, these are a lot of personal questions, which is wonderful. I hope everybody's up for that because I talk about anatomy so much. Um, It's all related, by the way. Anatomy is the investigation of the internal working. So it's not just about a muscle. It's not just about about fascia, but we, we compartmentalize it and we talk about it, but it's everything. So how we move in our body is how we move in our spirit. It's, they're inextricably linked. So I hope that makes sense. I'm glad that you're asking other questions too, that, you know, I'm not just a anatomy um, robot, but it's all related. This person asked me, um, actually, let's see, I said 10, I did it in Roman numeral. 10 people asked me about what I eat as a vegan. And that could be its own topic, but I will, I will tell you a couple things. What do I eat in a day, week? That person asked me what um, what I recommend. So anyway, in general, it was about like what I personally eat. So I've talked about this in my intermittent fasting talk and um, or mindful eating. Um, I have I look at food as this amazing source of fuel, and I eat when I'm hungry. I literally eat when I'm hungry, and so I'm going to tell you the truth. It is now doing this in the. Uh, between a f- teaching classes and filming later. So it's 11 o'clock. I've already done my own practice, but I am going to be filming later. So I will eat something, but I haven't eaten anything yet. So it's 11 o'clock in the morning. I got up, I taught at uh, 6.45. So I was up at 5.30. I am not hungry in the morning. And so I drink black coffee and I drink a lot of water and then I go and I do my thing. So I'm not hungry. So, but what I will have now is I will usually have some kind of piece of fruit, a banana, an apple, um, maybe strawberries. I don't care about the sugar content. It's fruit. It's naturally occurring. So I'm not, that has never bothered me. Um, Some people say, oh, you need to have something, some kind of fat with that or protein with that. Um, But so I sometimes have nuts if they're available, but a lot of times it's just a piece of fruit. 
But there's nothing like having banana and peanut butter. I love that. I love that. If you're not a peanut butter fan, uh, that's fine. And some people don't, you know, it's like, there's an opinion about everything. I, if, But, you know, I'm just being honest about what I do. If I'm at the studio and I'm hungry and it's about this time and we have it available, we have a um, cafe at the studio that's vegan, gluten-free, and it, we have chia pudding there. And there has been some just amazing chia pudding combinations as of late. So Contemplate Cafe is the name of, and you, if you're in Princeton, New Jersey, by the way, anytime you can come by, as long as we're open, there's stuff there for you to purchase. You don't have to just come in and do yoga. We have people that come off the streets and buy it. So chia pudding, I have that. It's real. There's all kinds of variations they make there. And that is amazing. So I'll have something like that. I don't necessarily have breakfasty food. I actually feel like I have cereal almost never in the morning. I almost have it as a dessert because cereal, especially the way it's made, even if you buy really great organic granola or all that, it's so full of sugar. So I I look at it as like, if I'm really needing like a little sweet treat, I'll have some cereal. (laughs) So I don't really think, I think that's a, a made up breakfast food. And I think it really can throw you off when you have cereal in the morning because it's so has so much sugar. It gets you hungry or faster, and and it's sugar that's not like naturally occurring. Like a banana is a whole food source of sugar versus uh, the the cereal. A lot of it has been added in there. Then for lunch, I always try and have something. You know, my lunch again can be really late. It could be like a two o'clock lunch or three o'clock. But what I would say is I try and eat in a window of an eight to 10 hour window. And then also I'll have lunch and it could be a salad, a a kale salad, again, from the studio. It could be some salad that I make and then I put all kinds of things in it. So I'll put nuts in there. I put carrots. I put other veggies in there. I'll put baked tofu in there. Yes, I'm not afraid of tofu. If it's organic, it's a whole soy product. It's, I, I stay away from any kind of processed soy, especially texturized soy protein, very rarely have something like that um, because I just want to have soy in its wholest form. And all the research supports that soy is actually very, very healthy for us in its whole form. Okay. So not in its, when it's been taken apart and texturized or, you know, put into some kind of soy protein isolate. And then for dinner, I will have whatever I'm cooking. And so I try and cook. I was having this conversation with my husband the other day and I I said, oh, I think I cook four days a week. He's like, I think you cook more than that. I used to really try for five or six days where I was doing it. And that gets harder because I'm just, um, my days are longer. And then I get home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I now have to make something. So I used to be, when the kids were little, I was really good at planning out the meals. I would plan out the meals, plan out the grocery list, and I would do leftover grains. So I would make a lot of rice in the rice cooker. And then I'd have that for the next day and make like veggie fried rice or some kind of rice pudding. I always would say double your grains when you're making it, just that's super efficient to do. So that could be quinoa, that could be rice, whatever you're doing, especially with the rice, you can double it and, and use it if, if you eat rice. And so what I eat then is just whatever I'm, you know, in the mood for making or have, I try to do seasonal as much as possible. So I make a lot of collard greens in the spring Mm -hmm. and summer. I love collard greens. They're from, they're a Southern, uh, growing up in the South, they're very, very prevalent there, but it is an acquired taste. And I do, you know, 
tofu scramble. I do a lot of beans. I love beans and rice and all variations of that. So I could have that pretty much every night. Um, I, I do other things, roasted veggies as well. I like to roast baked potatoes and sweet potatoes and and add fillings for that. So there's a lot of things you could do. I would say make it easy for yourself if you're cooking for just one. Um, just simplify, but you could do a baked potato most nights and add a ton of stuff in there. So that's me, and I hope that was helpful. That's I would. I, I'm hoping that helps. <laughs> we can go more into details on that, and I might do some um, stuff on my website on my on my daily lit classes for um, cooking some simple cooking techniques. Now this is a business question. Lessons from the business side of being a yoga teacher owning a studio. Well, I'm going to combine this with some other questions that I got. A lot of yoga business question. Growing yoga business in a saturated market. Okay, so let me address those two things. Yoga business. Well, yoga is uh, yoga teaching. There's a lot of yoga teachers, right? And so I don't think it's a saturated market because there's still many, many more people that are not practicing yoga than than are practicing yoga. And you have to look at that everything, there's room for everyone. I really believe that when you start to believe that you're you, you, there's not a place for you because the bookshelf is full, then um, everywhere you look, it's going to feel like it's full, like there's no no space for you. So what I would, but I also understand realistically the yoga business model has a lot of flaws, a lot of flaws. So let me speak from a yoga teacher perspective first. As a yoga teacher, I know you go, you graduate from your training and you might have aspirations of teaching full time. So let's say you're, you want to do this full time. If you're coming from a place where you already have a comfortable salary, this is going to be a huge move. And I would do it gradually because I don't know too many people who successfully start teaching yoga full-time after having another business and are comfortable with the uh, change because it's just, it's a change and you have to build up your classes. You have to build up a kind of a following. You have to, not a following like online, but just so that people show up to your classes because you will get paid as a teacher by based on, you know, if you're getting people into the classroom. No, no studio owner is going to pay a teacher when no one's showing up for class. I mean, that's just that's like you can't pay for a loss. So there's just ways of having to. You're going to have to get more um, students, and that takes time to build up. So I would say be uh, very optimistic, but be patient. Take your time with it, and maybe plot out how you're going to do it and then eventually leave your job. And that eventually could be in two months. So it doesn't have to be two years, but it might be two years for some people. So I just would say, be pragmatic, but be passionate. So that's for, and and if you're just wanting to teach part-time, then you're a little bit luckier because then you don't feel like the pressure and you can really take the time and see where do you want to teach? What kind of studio or what kind of situation? Maybe it's not even a studio. Maybe it's at um, a university or, or a, a church or you know a, a book club or something or a sports team. So it might not be at a studio. That's the other thing is know that as a yoga teacher, you can teach in a lot of different places. Don't get bogged down by teaching just at a studio because that will you will run into more challenge there more likely. Um, look at a variety of opportunity for teaching. 
So from a studio, so don't think of it as a saturated market. Think of look where other people aren't going and try and go there for sure. So there is space, but know that there is room for everyone. How you will be successful, in my opinion, is really, really being passionate about what you want to deliver. So if you're into restorative yoga, get super, super knowledgeable about that. Craft an experience in the class. So it's not just show up, you know, tell the poses, get through the class and then leave, but literally make it about the experience of coming into the class, um, getting to know the students and, and really being getting to be as much of an expert in that field uh, as you can. So if you're teaching vinyasa, learn about the body. If you learn about the body and the anatomy, you're going to feel so much more empowered. And I say this from years, years of watching people go through teacher training, spend thousands of dollars, walk away and have some knowledge about the philosophy and history, but no knowledge about the body. And when you're teaching a movement system, it seems obvious, but I'm, it's not. It seems obvious. You should know about the body. It's what's moving you and it's what's holding your spirit. So if you're not moving well, or if you're not helping people move well, then I would say you're not actually tapping into that deeper connection of body and spirit as well as you could be. So educate yourself. There's ways of doing that. You can um, learn more about anatomy, but learn it in a functional way. If you just go to anatomy course and it's not applied, it's not going to stay with you. You need to learn it in the applied version. So, you know, why do we need to hinge at the hips versus tip in the pelvis? What is what what is the action happening and why is that important in a movement system, especially in a vinyasa movement system? So whatever it is, if you're going to learn more about meditation, learn more about it. Become more of an expert in it, not so that you're going to be up on your pedestal above everybody else, but that so that you can get in the mix, that you have something to offer because you do need to have something that is going to uh, separate you a little bit um, from the other people that are teaching whatever it is you're teaching. So learn once you've gone through training, and it doesn't mean you need to spend more money necessarily, but you're going to need to spend more time and energy learning even more. The 200 hour is just an entry. It's just a gate that you're walking in. And then you've got a big field that you're going to have to uh, cover. And, and it's, it's never done. Like I'm still learning all the time. So that's the other thing is be willing to know that you're going to be a student for life. And that's your first priority. And then you're a teacher. I could go on and on about that, but I will stop myself. I'm going to go into the studio owner mode. Uh, studio owners, let me give you a picture of that. Uh, studio owners are typically are are buying or renting a space. Um, So they have a mortgage and and or a lease to pay. And that's a monthly thing. And then there's so many other expenses that you just don't see when you come into a studio. There is everything you can imagine from making it as easy as possible for people to sign up. Um, There's a website, there's electronic stuff you have to pay for. There's utilities you have to pay for insurance pay pay for. It's a lot of unseen stuff. So as a yoga student, I I mean, as a yoga teacher who's teaching a studio, um, I'm, you know, it's, I wish I could pay my teachers hundreds of dollars for a class. Um, And so it's just feasible. It's not feasible to do that. I don't know a, a 
probably a studio owner who's able to do that. And this is where the system is a little broken because we've we've really undersold how important yoga practice can be. So when you're when you're selling it at at a very low rate or giving away for free, it's really taking the market value down. And again, I want yoga to be available for everyone, and so I have lots of different options to make it available. But I will say that in the in, in the last 10 years, what I've seen is there's been a, an, I guess, an influx of what I would say is kind of Walmart yoga, where you know it's the lowest, you're, you're kind of lowballing everything. And when you do that, it does diminish the, um, the market, but it also really makes it d- difficult for studio owners to want to reward the teachers well or, or, or be able to, because you're just you got to make all the expenses match up. So I have a model that's a little different than most studios. So my model is profitable and it works really well because everybody teaches my style, my lit method at the studio. And we we have over the years developed, you know, we've gotten hundreds of members. It's really challenging for the the just regular studio owner. Um, because of the model of yoga business. So I would say that the yoga, I don't know what is the answer, honestly, because again, we want yoga to be available to everybody. And yet it's, we also want to, we also want to pay teachers well. We also want teachers to be highly educated and learn a lot and have the money to be able to, to learn more and maybe even do that full time. So it becomes complicated for sure. So I don't know the answer, but what I would say is as a teacher, uh, really get well educated, learn about about the body, learn about whatever it is you want to specialize in, and then get really good at that, and then teach it everywhere you can. And then as a studio owner, um, try and hold the bar high and know that I'm pulling for you because I know it can be really, really challenging. So don't believe that it's a, a saturated market where there's no room for you. There is room for you, but we just might need to shift the market, the value of it a little bit more, in my opinion. So that's that's all for that. Well, that was a lot of personal questions, not much about the body, but that was about, you know, how what I eat and advice for a new mom and uh, how I structure my day. And then there's um, many more questions and veganism, of course, how I oh how I eat, and then of course how I manage as a yoga teacher, advice for yoga teachers and studio owners. I'm hoping that helps you. And if you know anybody that this would help, please share it with them. If you want to become more educated and you are a yoga teacher or wanting to be a yoga teacher, know that I am working on my online program, which will be really wonderful. Just there's a lot that goes into it. So it's still being fully developed, but it will be available soon, I'm hoping. And I also have my online, my in-person training, which is in Princeton, New Jersey at my home studio. And that's in August. We do have some spots left. It's August 1st through 21st. And it is full on about really the body and spirit. I don't separate them, but it, you, you want to know about functional anatomy. You're you're going to definitely learn it for sure. And then you walk away with ten flows of mind that have been um, pre-approved and stamped, you know, stamped, so that every every part of every class there is a purpose in it, and you will see that for sure. So share this with anyone who might be curious about any of the things I talked about, and. As always, please write me if you have anything you'd like me to talk about. I get again, I get these questions, which is great, but um, you can also email me if you don't know how to access me. Otherwise, Laura at movementbylara.com. 
There's no you in my name. It's L-A-R-A. And I'm sending lots of hugs to you and know I'm pulling for you each and every day. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.